Hey everyone, Joe Lipset here. And Trace Thurman over here. And, and we're, we're the, the Horror, Horror Queers. Queers. Each week, Trace and I discuss a horror film with queer themes, subtext, or just plain text. From films young and old, foreign and domestic, we view classic, and some not-so-classic, horror films through a queer lens. But for lifelong queer horror fans like us, there's as much value in serious discussions about representation as there is in reading a ridiculously silly horror film with a Yas Queen mentality. Subscribe today and get a new episode every Wednesday morning. You can find us on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network or anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search for Horror Queers and we'll pop right up. See you on Wednesday. And cross out Horror Queers. Welcome to I Spit On Your Podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is a time once a month where I put down my bloody knitting needles, Kelly steps away from the TV to discuss horror movies, and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. In this episode, we are returning to Sunnydale to talk about seasons four and five of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We will be looking at themes such as queerness in the show, the man himself, Joss Whedon, and the end of Buffy. So pick your poison and listen on, if you dare. So by season four, obviously, I was already super hooked and a super fan. Yeah. <laughs> I was deep into it. I was deep watching it every week when it aired on TV. And I was really, really into it. Um, really, honestly, by season two, I was a super fan. But season three, yeah, I was sold. I wanted everything to do with Buffy. Always. Yeah, you're like hooked. The drug is in my veins. Mm, the Buffy drug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have to say the same thing, too. Like, <sighs> we know that I didn't start watching Buffy until much later in life. But once I got into it in the end of season three with uh, the end of, like, high school and stuff like that. And, of course, I wanted to see what Buffy is like when she goes to college. And so I was definitely into it. So went, went from there. Just continued on. Loving Buffy. The college years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so about uh, what do you like about I don't know about Buffy in general but like we know but like these season four and five like what do you like about these two season four and five a lot a lot happens there is an incredible yeah. amount that that happens in the show I think even more so in four and five than season one two three mm -hmm. uh, there's an incredible amount of character development huge story arcs and then the essential end of Buffy and the show, potentially. We'll talk about that yeah. later. But I really love how the characters grow and develop. And like we talked about in the first Buffy episode of the podcast is having such incredible game-changing character developments was not a thing that you saw on TV around that time. So it was incredible. And when you look at it, pretty much the, the biggest, most complex, interesting characters and character arcs are all the women of the series yeah. and not the men of the series, yeah. which I really just, for whatever reason, just really understood and realized that today. And I love that. And it had, those two seasons had some of the best episodes of TV almost ever. So it was amazing. It's huge, incredible, 
episodes. So I found it. It's still the same stuff I love about Buffy. Everything's very funny. It was incredibly moving. It's very compelling television. How about you? I feel the same way in the sense like you're right. We get more interesting characters and we get more character development. And I love some of the characters that come into the later seasons that we get to know them more. And then we're eventually going to hear about them or see about them later. But how uh, characters like... uh, Tara and Anya become so integral to the part of the Scooby gang. Like, it's not just Willow and Xander and Giles. It's a, it's there, there's mm-hmm. more of a team of them. And, mm-hmm. like you said, mm-hmm. you also get more of Giles. You get to get to see him more outside of being a librarian. He, you know, he's... You mm. actually kind of get yes. to really see him in the Watcher role. And I realize that today... And uh, like I talk about this later when I was watching The Gift and he had to make a call, like he has to make that call. And you're like, wow, like he's really being a watcher now. Like he's not just being, I'm a school librarian mm-hmm. and Buffy, you must do your studies and practice and da da da. He's like, I have to sometimes make hard decisions and sometimes my decisions mm-hmm. are not going to be great, but it's what I said I had to do for the rest of the world. So you realize yeah. that you realize that more with Giles's development. And I also really love the development of magic in the series. Mm-hmm. Like I know we touched mm-hmm. upon it with Jenny earlier on, you know, being a techno pagan and Giles has always had, you know, his influence uh, in magic, but we really get to see more of the development with it with Willow's character mm-hmm. and uh, later on and later sure. seasons. So that's what I really like about those two four seasons. And like you said, some of the episodes are so brilliantly written and it, it's interesting how we go from like we could have an episode that could have some really funny moments but can also have some really sad <laughs> and really heartbreaking ones. Like and I'm just yeah. And I can't talk about the gift yet, even though I just finished watching it. And like I'm I have a point that like relates to how that show how that episode begins and how it ends. And you're just like, it, it has mm-hmm. such a variety. And that's what I really like about these two seasons. Excellent. Yes, yes. What do you dislike between like season four, season five? Uh I feel bad, but I dislike the character Riley. Why do you feel bad? Nobody likes Riley. <laughs> that's a very common feeling. I, I understand that's a common <laughs> feeling, but you're like you're just like he's just trying to be a good guy he was just trying to be that good guy in Buffy's life and but I just don't like him he's just he's unbelievable as a character Mm. in that Mm -hmm. type of situation and I really don't like the 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 storyline of the initiative it just that Mm -hmm. season never sat like doesn't sit well with me I and um Mm -hmm. because I just don't find it very interesting I I guess like I want to watch it I'm like I don't really want to know about like human stuff with the 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 slayer fighting things I want to see the slayer like fighting like supernatural really big world stuff Mm -hmm. I don't want I don't want to I don't Mm -hmm. humans come in and ruin everything we know that already we know that (laughs) they discover new technology (laughs) and they're gonna so that's like the only thing I I, like that I really dislike and it's more because I just don't like season four I guess a lot Right. You know, season four gets a lot of a lot of flack, I think, unfortunately. But, you know, that's fair. I can understand why people would find that a very weak season. Uh, I'm with you. I also don't really like Riley. And he is a good, sweet boy, but he's way too goddamn beige. And he's very boring. Yeah. He just is not... He's not interesting whatsoever to me. He is, I don't care for him as a love interest for Buffy. I just don't care for him. I just don't have any feelings for him. Yeah. So just not into Riley. He's too beige. And I also dislike the initiative aspect. So personally, I really love the idea of a military compound and whole secret projects of experimentation and creating weird subjects and testing on these demons. But I don't 
like it in the context of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. I would love that for its own movie or its own show or its own thing on a different show, but I didn't love it for Buffy. There's aspects of it that I like. I do like the finale of season four and what the Scoobies do and like bring on the essence of the first Slayer and everybody come comes together to fight him. And that's really, really neat. Sorry, that was the second last uh, episode of season four. Yeah. Season finale is restless. Yeah, so I didn't really like that. I, as much as I understand and enjoy the fact that Oz left the show Mm. for the reasons that, you know, Willow and her development and where she went, but I loved his character a lot. And I do really miss Seth Green on that show. I thought he was a perfect little addition and he fit in so nicely. He was wonderful in his acting and his comedic timing and he was so great. So I do miss Oz as a character for sure. Yeah, okay, yeah. When you bring that up, I could definitely see that as well. Like an element of the show was gone. I think there was like an episode where like in season four where Xander says something, he's like, if Oz was here, he'd back me up. And I'm like, yeah, Oz wouldn't really add to this scene right now. Oh, Oz. He's definitely a fan favorite. Yeah, for sure. All right. So your favorite season between four and five. My favorite season is season five. It is my favorite season. Mm. Um, I think it has some of the some really good, really cute episodes, but also has some lot of really hard hitting episodes, like especially like close to the end where it's just like the body forever mm-hmm. intervention. Like it just like they just boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom, boom. So it's like keep getting me in the feels in this up in the season. <laughs> It is an intense season. It is an intense season. And and um, you see so much development of Buffy during that season as well, mm-hmm. having to, you know, deal, work, deal with her mother's illness and then her loss and then, <sighs> you know, realizing yeah. what she has to do in the end to protect, save the world from another apocalypse, like six one in a row. Um, <sighs> I... Yep. And like I said earlier, I also love the further development of Tara as character, as Tara as a character, mm-hmm. and as Anya. Watching this, I think a third time around, and having kind of like the insight that we kind of have, like we're not just watching that, like we're watching it to enjoy, but we're also watching it to look at characters and understand things. And I'm really finding that Anya is becoming one of my favorite characters. I really enjoy. Yeah. Cool. Her yep. journey as, uh, yeah, like as a mm-hmm. you know an ex demon trying to find her way in the Scoobies, yep. and I know. Yeah. There's so many interesting damn characters. There's, it's, it's, I know when I first started watching the show, and even now sometimes I, I go in between, I'm like, oh, maybe this character is my favorite. I'm like, oh, but this one, there's, because Joss Whedon is so amazing at writing many well-rounded, awesome characters that, that, I mean, that's a good problem to have, I guess, to have a hard time <laughs> figuring out who your favorite, who your favorite character is. Yeah. Uh, for me, for the longest time, I would, immediately say season five but okay right now it's actually a tie i'm having a really hard time choosing between the two god so just like talking to people online about it re-watching all the all the like the key episodes to me so season four is incredibly important for the character developments that is like i feel like all of season four is we're developing these characters even though i dislike the big the big bad of the season, take that away. And that is actually a really incredible season. Mm. And then I thought season five is all about the maintenance of all of these bonds and the creation of this family. We even have an episode called family. Yes. Oh, I love that episode. 
Tara is, it's so good. Where Tara is officially accepted as one of the Scoobies and Buffy's like, oh no, we we're, she's part of the family. Like we're going to protect her. You have over my dead body. And everybody's like, nope, nope, nope. You're, yeah. you, you want her? You have to get through all of us first, you know? So it's like season four is this development of that family. And then season five solidifies this incredible family. Giles, Anya, Willow, Tara, Buffy, Dawn. Yeah. And it's just about protecting your family, thinking about the gift, protecting your family, the bonds and relationships. It's an epic, epic season. It's very devastating. It's very serious. Yeah. And like, I love Glory, but also Buffy has two incredible speeches in season five, which is her power monologue with the council and checkpoint and the gift. Okay. So now I may be leaning a bit more towards five, but I feel like it's just very hard for me to choose between the two because they really just kind of like flow and are perfect together. Yeah. So right now it's still a tie. It's a tie. (laughs) (laughs) Realizing on these rewatch, I'm like, no, it's a tie. It's just like you can't have one without the other. And I didn't necessarily feel that way with seasons one, two, three. Yeah. I felt like they're a little bit more standalone, but four and five, like they, you, they come together. They yeah. have to be seen together and thought of together. So for this episode, we actually have two guest spots. And the first one is by Trace Thurman. You've read his reviews on Bloody Disgusting and Consequence of Sound, as well as his coverage of the South by Southwest and Fantastic Fest Film Festivals. He is the co-host of the Horror Queers podcast, which looks at horror films through a queer lens. Please welcome, all the way from Austin, Texas, Trace Thurman. Hey everyone, Trace Thurman from Bloody Disgusting's Horror Queers podcast here to talk a little bit about queerness and the show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Where do you even start? I mean, I'm here to do a three to five minute blurb, and I don't even know if I can fit all that into one recording of that size. But basically, I guess the important thing to note about Buffy is that the whole show itself is about queerness. I mean, we've the horror genre and queerness kind of go hand in hand together because queerness itself and queer people uh, are typically considered other. Uh, They are outsiders. They are people that don't fit in with the societal norm. And so therefore, we actually relate a lot to the monsters in the horror genre, or really just any genre in in general. But what is so smart about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and what Joss Whedon does with this show is that he actually makes the entire concept of being a vampire slayer queer in and of itself. Uh, Of course, you really do see this at the end of the second season of the show when Buffy tells her mom that she's a vampire slayer. And the exact line of dialogue that you get out of that from Buffy's mom is, Honey, are you sure you're a vampire slayer? Have you tried not being a slayer? Or, it's because you didn't have a strong father figure, isn't it? Now, of course, you can take this literally as, Oh, yeah, she's talking about being a slayer. But anyone who is reading really deeply into this or just just shallowly into this can very much tell that it's about being gay. Of course, Buffy herself isn't gay, but the whole show relegates just being a slayer, being this thing that you were born to be. It's destined to be you. You didn't choose to be like this, which actually is something that Buffy says. (laughs) So that kind of overlays the entire uh, seven-season run of the show. Of course, you can't discuss Buffy without discussing the character of Willow Rosenberg, played by Allison Hannigan, who does start the show as the kind of loser, loner, geeky girl, uh, but is, of course, eventually get into a relationship with Oz the Werewolf, played by Seth Green. But come season four, she meets Tara, played by Amber Benson, and they begin a relationship. So this show, even for the time it aired, late 90s, early 2000s, dealt with sexual fluidity in a very distinct way that you didn't really see that often, especially on mainstream television or like the basic, the main five networks. 
And of course, the question around that time is, oh, well, she was dating a guy. How can she just become a lesbian now? But that's kind of what the show was trying to say is, you know, sexuality is a fluid thing. It's not something that can necessarily just be that black and white. Um, And of course, later, Willow did identify herself as a lesbian. But it's just something that, again, you just didn't see on TV that much at the time. So it was quite progressive. And the reason that the show has such a huge queer following is because us queer viewers connected to that on a much deeper level. Uh, this isn't to say, of course, that non-queer viewers couldn't connect to it. There's plenty there in the show to, to to connect with. But the show itself was even kind of an outsider. You know, it was never a ratings winner. I mean, it, that's why it's considered a cult television program. And of course, cult television programs are something also that queer viewers tend to go, or anything cult, really, whether it's a movie, a TV show, or a band, uh, because anything that is distinctly other or outside of the norm we can relate to. And that's kind of just something that why Buffy the Vampire Slayer played such a big part, at least in my generation. You know, I was a child of the 90s, so that played a part of my, not just sexual awakening, but just learning to accept who I was and be who I am today. Without Buffy, I might be an entirely different person. And I'm sure a lot of other queer viewers feel the exact same way. Now, of course, the way the show handles some queerness, uh, specifically, and I guess this is a spoiler alert, but in Tara's death at the end of season six, which leads to one of the best arcs of the show, which is Dark Willow. But the show has received criticism for the way that Joss Whedon handles the female characters, and specifically the queer female character of Tara, because it's really kind of a matter of necessity of, like, you know, does this character need to die, or is Joss Whedon just being... Uh, sadistic and trying to torment his, uh, this girl for being queer. I don't fully buy into that reading of it. I view that more as a gender thing because women tend to get the short shift in a lot of the show, but that's kind of another discussion entirely. But overall, I think it should be, you know, this, this show should be commended for being so ahead of its time in its portrayal of queerness, again, on a main network, which at the time was the WB, uh, before, of course, it went to, before it went to UPN for the last two seasons. But the legacy of the show lives on today and is remembered as one of the queerest horror shows of all time and deservedly so. So the first thing we're going to talk about actually is the representation of homosexuality, but more specifically bisexuality in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But a little bit before we truly get into that, because a lot of queer folk love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, not only the show, but Buffy herself, and they find a lot of strength and comfort in the show, which I was really interesting for me to to definitely find out because, I mean, that's not my experience. It's not my life. So, of course, I'm going to look at things in a very different way. So it's been really interesting kind of getting into that mindset of things. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show at the time when this was all coming out, so season uh, four and five was like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And at the time, other representations of gay teens really dis- really focus on disempowerment and rejection. And I, I used to watch Dawson's Creek. I was a fan of Dawson's <laughs> Creek at the time as well. Oh, wow. Not a huge okay. fan, but I definitely watched all that teen drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So Jack, Jack and Dawson's Creek, it was all about... It was completely about rejection. His family didn't respect and accept him. Folks in that small town and teens in his school. There was Anna in One Tree Hill, which I didn't watch. Um, But these were examples brought out by an article called Coming Out of the Broom Closet by Jessica Ford. So at the time, things weren't really positive. They were showing representations of these gay teenagers, but not really in the best light but in diff but it was very different in Buffy it was all about empowerment which was really really amazing to see which is really interesting right because 
you see how in shows earlier in the 90s, like you said, um, homosexuality wasn't represented in the most positive way. And even if there was some kind of um, identification of someone coming out as gay or is gay in a show, it was always implied but never explicitly said. And I'm thinking for myself, like Xena, Warrior Princess, like everyone was like, okay, clearly mm. those two are in a, like in a relationship, they're in love, but it was never <laughs> ever said. It was always just implied. Mm. Whereas in Buffy, you get her coming, you get Willow coming out. You get people saying like, I'm gay and actually having a relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We also have Larry earlier even yes. in, in the show actually say like, I'm gay. Thank you very much, Xander, for helping me, you know, come out and discovering this and talking about this. I feel so good. Yeah, exactly. And it was, yeah. And here we are. And it's just normal. It just completely normalized yeah, like queerness in, in the shows, which I thought was really great. And another little thing, which was really wonderful. And I read about was like, Josh, Josh Whedon really didn't want to buy into a lot of stereotypes, mm. generally speaking, when it came to Willow being gay in the show. Yeah. Um, she's, she retains her femininity and the show didn't want to represent her like the stereotypes of lesbians at the time, which was quote unquote butch, like that type of aesthetic and, and attitude and everything. He wanted things to be, she wanted her essentially wanted to retain her femininity. Not that butch like lesbians are not feminine, but it was just a very different. He didn't want to be like, Hey, she's, she's gay now. And we're going to quickly like completely change her whole identity because of this sexuality. Yeah. So I liked that a lot too. Well, it definitely adds that element of, you know, within the queer community among, you know, among, among lesbians, you have, you know, those ones who are butch. And then you have the very feminine ones. Mm-hmm. Like there is the, the range, you know, you can't uh, label totally. someone. Cause I, you know, I've known women, Women who are straight who you know dress very butchly and or and it's mm-hmm. like you can't just assume right that the way someone mm-hmm. dresses or the way someone acts defines their sexuality completely yes that's a that's a fantastic point so getting more into the sexuality of things and that's why we're here yeah <laughs> that's why we're all here truly <laughs> there's a couple of different resources that uh we looked into and then again our research kind of just made up made our way into talking about bisexuality and buffy the vampire slater not just homosexuality not just the gayness of our characters but multiple uh types of uh sexualities and identification. So there was one article called, I think I'm kind of gay. Willow Rosenberg and the absent, present, bisexual, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And there's some overlap between this resource and our other one, but this one was was really fantastic. Uh, and it really got into the, the darkness of other types of Willow characters, like our Vamp Willow and our Dark Willow. But we'll definitely talk more so about Vamp Willow since we that's in the earlier seasons and Dark Willow is next season. Yeah. But in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there definitely is a binary approach to sexuality. I mean, we talk about bisexuality, bi means two. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, they talked about only men and women and being attracted to, which can be seen as limiting folks' sexual experiences. So with that, I kind of wanted to talk about, uh, there's a newer term that's more inclusive, but there is still an acceptance of using the term bisexual. I don't think that's necessarily a bad term term still, but pansexuality is a more inclusive turn because I don't think saying somebody is bisexual means you're not opening yourself up to non-binary folks and trans folks. I think that's just 
a basic term that's been around for such a long time and people feel comfortable using it. I myself kind of fell into the pansexual identification because I've had romantic and physical experiences with men, women, and a trans individual. And I kind of look at folks from more of a, well, I'm kind of into you as a person and not necessarily because you're a woman or because you're a man. Though I do generally Mm. run more of the nice smelling man folk Um, (laughs) but, uh, in Buffy at the time, you know, there was no obvious other types of genders or sexualities. So in the confines of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the word bi or bisexuality definitely works. Yeah, it definitely works because especially at the time, and I just kind of want to like put a little, um, not like disclaimer about what we're talking about. We want to say like, because Buffy the Vampire Slayer was definitely great for uh, representation of homosexuality, bringing in the alternative mm-hmm. uh, lifestyle onto the so onto the media and the TV and stuff and onto TV and stuff like that. However, I found in this research, especially for someone like myself who does identify as bisexual and who has experienced what we're going to talk about later called uh, bisexual erasure, that. I think it what the show was doing was great in terms of homosexual representation, but then we'll talk later about how it wasn't also so great in terms of bisexual representation, how that's treated um, in the media. But like, I just want to like let people know, like we know that the writers and Joss Whedon were doing the best they could at the time because that was what was important on TV was just right. to see yeah. an alternative lifestyle on TV represented in a positive way. And then obviously now that it's like almost like tw- twenty or something years later yeah like kelly was saying we have more terms there is more um inclusiveness we need to have so that's why sometimes we look back at these shows we're like oh well actually this character is bisexual but at the time Mm -hmm. there was negative representation around bisexuality so it's just easier just to be like she's gay let's go let's go from there (laughs) (laughs) i love it perfect you said it so perfectly in so thinking about the buffy verse yeah um vanilla quote unquote (laughs) vanilla or more tame sexuality is deemed good and acceptable but anything that extends beyond that is bad or deviant and we see that in our vampires uh we see that in faith and veruca I do want to do a little shout out to my oh, my own blog pieces and my essays over on the nevers podcast uh, website hbothenevers.com because i do talk about this more thoroughly we're not going to go deep into veruca or faith but generally speaking those women showed much more overt sexuality mm-hmm. which was a no-no in some Sunnydale. In the Buffyverse, you don't do that. You're, it's not appropriate. Yes. So in the Buffyverse, sex in a loving relationship is good and appropriate and acceptable. That makes sense. And sex that's not about love is bad or it's shown as at least very empty. And you can see that in the Faith character for sure because she has a lot of more casual encounters and everyone thinks that's like very empty. It doesn't mean anything. But you know what? Maybe it means something to Faith. Yeah, it was like with that episode when she slept with Xander. And she was just like, what? Mm-hmm. He's like, you, she's like, you thought something was going to come out of this? And she's like, I just need to get my rocks <laughs> off after killing a bunch of things. Yep. Like, you yep. were you were there for me at the time I needed you. And he's just like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. And for him, he's like, oh, I thought there was more meaning and maybe something was going to come out of this. And no, it did not. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. But she's still viewed as, you know, that as an inappropriate behavior. Yeah. And then getting into... 
the vampire sexuality of things. So vamp sexuality is definitely coded as dangerous and or violent. And yeah. of course, when we get introduced to Vamp Willow, that is clearly a fluid sexuality and compare that to our regular vanilla Willow, there's just like a huge, a huge divide. And it's yeah. a huge negative, a negative divide, actually. Yeah, well, it was interesting, right? In that episode, The Wish and Doppelgangland, like, you get Vampire Willow, who's portrayed as, like, polymorphously kinky, bisexual vampire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, she's not oh, yeah. just, like, bisexual. She's kinky. So there's that relation, mm-hmm. relation to, like, um, bisexuals being into BDSM and more into kinky stuff. And polymorphously mm-hmm. Right. So she's into, you know, having multiple relationships, but in like a poly kind of type situation. Completely. She's up for being sexy with vamp Xander and literally anyone that comes by. She's flirting with them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She's licking everyone. Yeah. And in this article, um, with regards to BDSM, since you brought kind of kinky sexuality up, yeah. and we often see this portrayed with the vampires. So yes. this type of kinky behavior, and we see that at Faith, you know, and I think Veruca makes mention of just more rough, aggressive sex than everybody else. <laughs> so the sexuality is not really being offered as like a viable choice. It's only something that our bad vampires do. It's yeah. not what our good women do. It's what vampires who are monsters and deviant and bad, that's what they do. And they had mentioned in this article that these associations overlay each other, created a profoundly overdetermined queer subject. Um, so these vampires are desiring women, men, and self all outside of the bounds of normal vanilla heterosexuality. The vamp double is clearly framed with a text as perverse and a cautionary example of excessive sexuality and sometimes bisexual folks or folks that have interest in more than one type of person that's seen as excessive like look at all the sex you're going to be having you're just going to be having sex with everyone all the time just because you are interested in more than one gender or biological sex yeah like they say like historically and particularly bisexual women were usually characterized as immoral or hypersexualized. So they're either seen yeah. as sex objects, um, they're of like they're transgressive figures in a male-dominated world, and that's why we get a lot of these misconceptions and why we get a lot of relation mm-hmm. of bisexuality to vampire vampirism, because our vampires, um, outside of Vamp Willow, you know, Spike, Drusilla, Angel, like they go both ways. There's there's mention every once in a while. Totally. Vampires, you know, will find love in different mm-hmm. places, but that's seen as unstable sexuality and is deviant, and thus will lead to unstable morals. And that's why we have like Vamp Willow is she's very questionable. Like, you know, we think there's a, a, that the good Willow is in her, but she's like, well, no, she's really hypersexualized and she lives outside the norms of a mm-hmm. normative relationship, so she's evil. Oh, completely. God forbid. God forbid. You know. <laughs> And if we're looking at uh, Dark Willow a little bit later on, because you see a lot of the similarities between Dark Willow and Vamp Willow, not just in aesthetics. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's something to be said for that as well. But she does have some queer desire. But... She does show some towards Dawn, which is the most taboo and most perverse that we've yes, seen her. Yes. Because besides the age difference, 
Willow and Tara into season six become Dawn's kind of pseudo parental figures. Yeah. And Willow flirts with Dawn. That's a little bit incestuous. So truly taboo taking bisexuality into a crazy beyond nether realm of inappropriateness, which I think is inappropriate. Well, yeah, it's like <laughs> relating bisexuality to uh, picking a side between good and evil. So like there's always yeah. that for bisexuals and I've experienced this myself it's like are you picking are you picking a gender if you you know if you pick a man you're you're hetero if you pick a woman you're gay you know one's good or evil and we see that willow you know as vamp willow she's bad and as dark willow she's bad and she displays these uh kinky bisexual tendencies but then when she's good she's good she has made her choice she has chose monosexuality she has chosen to be a lesbian her her path is plain and clear for her and Mm -hmm. it's not she's not Mm -hmm. confused and she's not delusional in any way and that's usually people who are evil are you are usually delusional. Exactly. Uh, What I want to get into, and I referenced it earlier in our conversation, is talking about this idea of bisexual erasure and around the negative stereotypes of bisexuality. So when we we go back and we look at Willow, and it was really interesting because Kelly and I watched uh, during our SAD episode, um, watching, uh, I think it was Beer Bad, no, Buffy versus Dracula. And we had a moment where like Willow makes a comment about uh, about Dracula being hot. And we're like, oh my God, there's that moment. You're having those moments. There's many of those moments. Yeah, like even like right now, like even today when I watched the gift and Xander makes the comment being like, wow, smart girls are sexy. And she's like, couldn't you recognize that in grade 10? Right. And so it's once again, like there's these little hints throughout Buffy about Willow's sexuality Mm -hmm. and how like it's not as like clear cut as as they're telling us it is that she went all of a sudden she was like straight and went gay she actually may be bisexual. And one of the reasons Mm -hmm. why it's been so important to look back at these shows and talk about them is because of the experience of what a lot of uh, bisexual um, men and women experience to this day in both the uh, hetero and queer community. And this is bisexual erasure. And so bisexual erasure, defined by GLAAD, is the bisexual invisibility is a pervasive problem which is the existence or legitimacy of bisexuality in general or of any individual is either questioned or outright denied so often Mm. people who you know come out as bi people are usually usually tell them you're confused or you just Mm -hmm. haven't you just Mm -hmm. haven't had the right dick or you just you know like like the different things are said to you sometimes (laughs) very crudely that you know you just haven't had a great sex experience with a so it's that's still a problem and it actually ends up causing a lot of issues it causes a lot of severe impact on mental health and physical health for a lot of bisexuals because there's a lot of uh, unfair treatment both in the hetero and homosexual Mm -hmm. community and Mm -hmm. interesting enough in my research and looking into this this is not just an issue for people who identify as bisexual a lot of people within the community who identify as pansexual who are fluid queer uh, non-monosexual have no labels um, Mm -hmm. bi-romantic pan-romantic polysexual multisexual all these other labels also experience this type of erasure because we like kelly was saying earlier we live in a very binary society you're either one or the Mm -hmm. other you can't be both when you talk about your identity to people you often have to fit into this sex desire and gender matrix and bisexuality mm-hmm. per, like makes that a problem because people can't be like, well, then we don't understand what your narrative is. We don't understand where you're going to end mm-hmm. up at the end of the day. I do know, again, it's not. this is not like my personal experience, but I do know because I know other, a good friend of mine identifies as a bisexual woman. And just overall, the stereotype of, let's say you are in a monogamous relationship with a man or a woman at that time in your life, even though you're a bisexual person, there's always that 
there's that stereotype of, oh, that person's probably going to cheat because they're going to be unhappy with their partner and they need to have more than that. They need to have more. Again, that's coming back to the excessive sexuality. Like, does my friend want... She's a poly person, so that's a different thing. But, you know, you can a bisexual person can be 100% happy within their relationship if it is just one person, and whether they're male, female, or whichever. Um, it doesn't mean they need to have pieces. They need to have, like, their hands in all these different pots. Yeah. That's some sexual innuendo, but <laughs> just that, that stereotype of that, this one person is not, is not going to be enough. That person is not enough. It's like, where did that come from? Where does that even come come from that this person isn't going to be enough for them just because they're attracted to other people yeah and you know what? I'm just gonna like jump in and talk kind of about my experience as a bisexual woman so like when I was in high school when I first came like at first when I came out I came out as a lesbian my very first girlfriend was you know and Kelly knows her as well mm. I dated her for two and a half years and at the time like I'm a lesbian like that it just makes sense right and I you know Mm -hmm. I knew I had an attraction to women and after her and I broke up Mm -hmm. I kind of started questioning my sexuality a bit more and just really because I assumed Mm -hmm. I was a lesbian but then I met someone my first boyfriend and I was like oh okay so after I got over some you know trauma stuff related around my relationship with him I was able to realize I was like oh actually no I'm bisexual I identified to liking both Mm -hmm. men and women and I remember at first some people being confused, being like, oh, I thought you were a lesbian. I was like, no, I realized that I actually, because I actually had like an actual serious relationship with a man. Like I dated guys in high school, but it's different. Not the same when you date a man when you're older and you actually have sex. Well, people had sex in mm-hmm. high school, but I didn't. So, um, oh, you're so cute. Yeah, like my first, <laughs> my first sex experience was with a woman. So, um, mm-hmm. but then I got married. And I remember how that was a big deal for a lot from some people who knew me was people thought I had chosen my gender, that I chose to be straight because I was choosing to marry a man. And I remember at the time being like, no, I chose to marry this man because of his, not because of his gender, because of his personality. Now, now I yeah, realize something. Who he was as a human who being. Who he was as a human being. It had nothing to do. And I yeah. still identified as being um, bisexual. It just, like, I felt like people were trying to erase my identity because like, oh, I picked men. That was it. That was it. Everything before was just experimentation. Exactly. That I was like, <laughs> just experimenting uh-huh. because I had this really close friendship with a woman that, I, of course, it would turn into mm-hmm. something more. But then oh um, later on. I'm sorry that happened. Oh, that, but that's kind of that's part of that by erasure experience. Like I experienced that. I even experienced yeah. that trying to yeah. maintain friendships with people because I met people in the queer community in North Bay. And I try to maintain friendship with people because of, but once oh, I started boy. dating a man, nope. They didn't want anything to do with me. And I was like, well, no, I'm bisexual. No, nope, wow. you're just confused. Like, whatever. And I was oh, like, boy. and I remember like stepping away from the queer community for a very long time. Cause I was just like, I, this makes me feel very uncomfortable. Like I'm not even accepted in the queer yeah. community because I identify as bisexual now. Strange. Yeah. So strange. Oh, I'm sorry. That's well, North Bay, North Bay, it's kind of a cesspot of literally every type of human being, well, sadly. Well, that too. And also like, there was a lot of like in North Bay, there wasn't a lot of many queer people. They would all end up leaving, which I totally yeah. get that. And it's like, if you dated one yeah. person in the queer community, you dated all of them because they all dated each other. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. And that was so what? That was like early 2000s, mid 2000s. Yeah, so for it's, sure. We can understand that there are, you know, differences in, in the age that we're yeah. at, for sure. And uh, so then later on in my marriage, interesting enough, um, talks about opening my marriage came up because uh, my mm-hmm. husband at the time was concerned that I was not living to my true self and my continuing to explore mm. my bisexual identity. And that's where I had my first exposure to polyamory. Mm. But the person who I was, I was like, I need to know everything about what polyamory is, what open marriages is, and how do bisexual women, you know, fit into this. And 
um, I realized, and I writing this, and I realized that at the time, if I had followed what my husband wanted to do at the time, we would have been what I hated, which is unicorn hunters. I'm so glad mm. that I... Yeah. Oh, God. No. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm so glad that I realized at the time what I wanted. And A, I didn't just want to have um, a relationship with a woman just to have sex. I actually wanted, like, a relationship. That's how I identify my sexuality, my yeah. bis- bisexuality. So we did not go into the re- realm of polyamory because I was like, A, our relationship sucks. I'm not going to bring someone else into this. And B, I don't mm-hmm. want a unicorn-style thing. Can you explain to people who have no idea what you're talking about with regards to unicorn because I know what you're talking about but not everybody does. So I was going to say so a unicorn is typically um, a bisexual woman who uh, would get into a relationship with usually a couple and within the couple is usually either um, hetero in the sense that well maybe like the woman will have bisexual tendencies and the husband um, they won't they themselves won't but it'd be like the three of them in a relationship but the woman who is the unicorn is not allowed to have relationships outside of the, um, the triad they would call call it and that's like the Mm -hmm. the couple together I myself didn't really learn about that until like I after my marriage ended I decided to really want to explore my bisexual identity and started um going into the more poly lifestyle and of course when I put myself out there as bisexual and um open Mm -hmm. to non-monogamy it was like I kept getting hit up by unicorn hunters all the time and I was like no I have no interest Mm. in that but now being in the polyamorous lifestyle that I'm I am in I'm able to explore my bisexuality I'm still finding some bi erasure because I know people really want to identify like they say well why don't just identify Mm -hmm. as pansexual I'm like because I'm not pansexual I am I am bi and you know I know it bothers some people that I may have like a kind of this binary approach but I don't Um, I still value a a person's identity over their gender more than anything I just Mm -hmm. happened to Mm -hmm. explore that so I just really interesting to me about how important was to revisit Buffy the Vampire Slayer with this new lens and so when you and I were doing the research mm-hmm. and looking at these articles and we're talking about Willow's bisexuality I was like oh yes I'm onto mm-hmm. this because I understand this experience mm-hmm. and I think it's mm-hmm. really great that we start opening up these, t- these types of questions and have these conversations so that we can really work with um, removing this erasure that kind of continues to happen. It's getting better. Like, I'm not saying it's, that it's horrible. Mm-hmm. I think it mm-hmm. has gotten better, especially with so many terms, like I said, with like pansexuality and asexual. Like, mm-hmm. there's just like, there's, you just can't define uh, sexuality in one way. Exactly. And even... Even for me, like looking back at with the research and looking back at at Willow and the sexuality of the women on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, even without knowing it, I knew and had a and knew that Willow was bisexual. Huh? Like I didn't even have to like pinpoint mm. it, but I've felt that for many many years because and I don't I'm not really familiar with this erasure type term, but we always talk about Willow and Tara, which is an incredible the most healthy relationship yeah. and normalized and stable relationship of that entire show. So it's really important, but we put so much importance on that, but then we totally erase let's say Willow's relationship with Oz, which I don't think is appropriate because that was a really important I agree with you. relationship for the show for Willow. That was her first romantic sexual relationship. Yes. And I don't think that that was a, a disingenuine relationship whatsoever. I think that that was a very complex, intense, 
important uh, relationship for Willow. She was in love with Oz. She felt romantic and trust. She had trust in Oz and had her first sexual relationship with Oz. And what would have happened if he wouldn't have, if that whole scenario with Veruca in his struggling with the wolf situation, if that didn't happen, you know, would, would they have continued on in their relationship? Would Tara even have come into the picture? I just don't like the the aspect of just erasing that whole and just forgetting about that very important, very moving, beautiful, tender, funny little relationship that they had. I I agree with you. Oz is in, Willow and Oz's relationship was very, very important and very strong pillar of the show that really was able to bring the, the show to a lot of new opportunities and explore a lot of new areas. What might, I've just thought about this now, but I mean, it shows Willow's openness to different types of people yep. because not only was he a man, but he was a werewolf, Yeah, right? So he, a couple of times a month, turned into an actual beast yeah. and she saw him for who he was. She's like, that's fine. I'm going to hang out with you while you're in wolf form. You're all wolfy, but that's fine with me. <laughs> I, accept for, I accept you for who you are and that's fine. And maybe that was kind of just like her growing into the very open woman that she turned into, but I just don't, I think that was still a very important relationship and I, I think it's important to talk about that one as well and I think that was because we always talk about the women afterwards for Willow but there were men before that and like you mentioned with uh, the Dracula episode there are hints towards still her interest even though there's supernatural men or there's a spell she still has the interest the interest is still there yeah and it's kind of like playfully hinted at but I'm like oh no it's still there yeah it's fine exactly I love it. Yeah, so I just think that when it comes to the way bisexuality is represented on the show on Buffy, it's, you know, like Whedon did a great thing by empowering uh, homosexual relationships, by identifying Will as a lesbian Mm -hmm. and and bringing that part Mm -hmm. of her character. But at the same time, too, it also kind of disempowered her as a character and it disempowered, Mm -hmm. you said, like her other relationships. Like, and that also ultimately Mm -hmm. disempowered by women because at the same time, too, Mm -hmm. like her bisexuality was always part of a negative transition, always a part of a negative phase. And then, as you said earlier, when we think about a character like Faith, who is clearly bisexual and very frank with her sexuality, she is seen Mm -hmm. as evil. She is monstrous. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're kind of like, yay, Buffy, thank you for some positive representation. However... However, <laughs> you're kind of like skirting the lines again of, of creating like that, that biphobia, yeah. always thinking that if you're bisexual, you're oversexualized and you're kinky and you're deviant and there's something wrong with you. And I'm like, oh, you're so weird. That's so weird. And I don't understand it. So I'm just going to call yeah. you weird. And then that's it. I know. Yeah. So the other article that we got into and we read, which was really fantastic, we recommend it. It's called Problematic Tropes of Bi Women in the Weed Inverse. And it touched on actually the Willow Buffy wish verse of willow faith and anara from firefly but we're not going to talk about anara for sure but it was really amazing so like like you said you know the tara willow relationship is praised for good reason but as we've talked about willow's sexuality can be interpreted in multiple different ways and just like jess said it was so perfect and this was really interesting portion of the research for me but as bisexuality uh, presented as temporary or just transitional you kind of just kind of figure out you're experimenting trying to figure out where you're gonna Ooh, land yeah is it over yeah. here or over there you know you can't be in between that's strange yeah. Yeah. i don't understand that but that's strange you know, that's people, <laughs> not me. I totally, I totally get it. And then it comes down to the language aspect. So in Doppelgangland, we have Willow say, it's horrible. That's me as a vampire. I'm so evil and skanky. 
And I think I'm kind of gay. That's a very important thing that she said. Yeah. That's uh, season three, episode 16. Okay. Evil. Yeah, she's totally, she's a vampire. Therefore, she's evil. I get that. That's skanky. Wow. Because she's overtly sexual. Um, She's skanky. Again, I think that's a bit of a product of its time. The overt sexuality, you know, we've talked, we've talked on here and I've talked about in some pieces that I've written about a lot of slut shaming. Yeah. So if you are not, you know, straight up just having sex for love's sake and a romance romantic monogamous relationship that's when it's good and literally anything else is bad yeah and then her saying i think i'm kind of gay so that could be just seen as i think i'm kind of gay just as like a thing to say or she's just a little bit gay yeah. which means she's not she likes all kinds of people yeah you know so it's really important the language that she speaks but she seems upset by the whole thing so I'm hoping that Willow earlier was not like, oh, no, that's horrible. I think I'm kind of gay. So maybe that's weird. She's just like not fully accepting of that aspect potentially of of herself. And then you get later on where she says, hello, gay now. So that means like now she is, but before she wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that kind of just gets into the whole it's more acceptable and more um, we can understand her more if she's just a lesbian. That's more it's just easier for viewers to to relate to and to understand. Yeah. It's more it's easier to swallow. No pun intended. And it's just <laughs> that's how that is. <laughs> which, which makes sense. Like I can understand like when you introduce a concept like bisexuality or pansexuality, people get confused. They, like they don't really understand and like you said totally. like, we keep saying it's a binary yeah. thing you're one or the other and in early in the late 90s mm-hmm. early 2000s it was like that was just something you could talk about it was easier to talk about homosexuality mm-hmm. than it was like going into all the gray areas of it yeah and that and people have a hard time even with that now oh yeah for sure yeah oh boy so actually there's aspects of vamp willow and this kind of evil or predatory lesbian or bisexual woman when we talked about vampires in our vampiric sexuality episode when I was doing the research and writing up my notes like oh yeah we kind of touched on this when we talked about the hunger mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah so vamp willow kind of looking at this article like kind of embodies all the worst aspects of our depraved bisexual vampire archetype she's predatory manipulative evil And of course, unabashedly bisexual. She's like, I like everyone and that's totally fine with me. You know, she has that relationship with Xander. We see her seducing female victims. She licks regular (laughs) Willow, you know, which is all the exact opposite of our beloved Willow, who's very like bookish and nerdy and meek and mild and sweet and kind and very heterosexual at that time, generally speaking. She was like, yep, she's very much a heterosexual. So she was like this like incredible opposite I did want to talk a little bit about this picking sides aspect of things Mm, that you mentioned earlier, because we see there's an exact moment where Willow has to choose her past or I guess heterosexuality, which when Oz comes back in New Moon Rising, he's like, I've gotten control of this. I want you. I love you. Like, let's get back together. And she's like, "Mm, nope. Yeah. You know, she chooses Tara. So she has now chosen this aspect of her life and maybe she's chosen, I am now a lesbian because then later on she's like, gay now. And like, that's just it. And people always, you know, what we talked about that, you know, women have to choose like, oh no, you can either have women or men. You can't have both. That's too much. That's an excess. You can't have that. You can only have one relationship, (laughs) not all relationships. 
Nope. <laughs> Not all of them. I remember because I used to subscribe to ethical non-monogamy for a couple of years, but I remember somebody, I, I'm sure it was in Jess saying, why don't you leave some for the rest of us? Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only dating like three people, so it's fine. There's there's still many Calm people down. You can also, for you, you can to also date. date those people yeah. too. Like, I will date that one person. You can date that one person. Yeah. Like, Let's all date. Let's just I'm date not everyone all together. Of the people. <laughs> But there were two quotes that I thought were really important uh, with regards to Willow's sexuality. So it was Joss Whedon. So he said in an interview on a radio show that the arc between Willow and Tara has a long and sort of tortured history. We had thought about the idea of someone exploring their sexuality, expanding it a little bit in college, because that's something that might happen in college. And it seemed like a good idea, like a good time for her to be exploring this. And the question became, how much do we play in metaphor and how much do we play has her actually expanding her sexuality? And then Amber Benson, who played Tara and Buffy, she mentioned, I think this is even the more important thing to talk about. She said, Joss kept Willow as a lesbian rather than saying, okay, now she's done. I'm really pleased with how that continued on, that she had somebody else, that she continued to be who she was. She was stuck by her guns. She wasn't just a flip flopper. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So we kind, you kind of brought that up, Jess, earlier, but just like, what if you went back and forth and she she's essentially putting that as a like a very negative thing which is usually how it's treated yeah there's like oh you can't go back and forth you have to choose yeah like it, it's one or the other you can't have both and i'm like why can't i have both i like both right but yep. like you said that's totally is devi is seen as deviant behavior and is also seen as being selfish and is also being seen as being confused and mm-hmm. and just like a complicated thing for people to understand. So that's why sometimes it's just easier for people to just be like, you chose. Okay, great. You chose your gender. And it's like, well, no, I'm choosing the, the identity. I choose everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Like, why can't I love yeah. everyone? Why can't I be sexual with everyone? Like, why? Why does it have to be one way? It doesn't have to be one way. And I think it's really interesting. Like, as you're talking about those quotes, it reminded me of a couple years ago, the photo spread that came out, I think, in entertainment with um, all the characters from Buffy that were doing the anniversary one. And there's that one oh, yeah, yeah. photo of like, Willow with Oz and Tara and it's like it's clear Mm. right there like two of her really most Mm. important very life-changing relationships right right there and like it's saying like Willow is bisexual in my mind ooh good point the Entertainment Weekly beautiful spread yeah yeah, it's a beautiful spread and and that's why I want to say like in my mind I look back at it and like I identify see Willow as she's bisexual and that's just you know and 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 she and and like and I think that can be amazing for all lesbian women as well to you know celebrate that because it's still like someone identifying with their sexuality and embracing it and loving who they are at the end of the day so like we said you know we know that Joss Whedon subverted a lot of tropes and a lot of stereotypes and everything to make things seem less heterocentric which is fantastic yes but he did not challenge the stereotypes of bisexuality which is too bad and that's kind of the point of what we're talking about and Maybe it's a product of its time. I don't think that was a thing in his mind. We're like, nope, we're going to, you know, disempower bisexual people. Yeah, I don't think that I just think that was just a blind spot. Yeah. And like I said, I think at the time that the show was being written, Mm -hmm. what they did was super important. And yeah, they wouldn't have had that idea of bisexuality on the mind, because like we said, at the time in television and in TV bisexuality was not actually a representation like it really hasn't Mm -hmm. really been into into like the last almost like five or seven years with like shows like Mm -hmm. Orange is the New Black and stuff like that where Mm -hmm. the idea of bisexuality is being talked about more yeah agreed 
So, like we said, we have another uh, guest on the show, and this uh, bit is coming from uh, Joshua. Uh, Joshua has a thing for horror. Always has. From sneaking glances at Freddy Krueger behind a blanket, to delving into goosebumps, to scouring the horror section at his local mom-and-pop video store, he's made horror a constant in his life. The A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and Buffy are his forte, as the characters and storylines within them are those that speak and scream at him the most. Read his ramblings and dives on the genre in the articles for Nightmare on Film Street and GailyDreadful.com. Buffy premiered a month after I turned 12. I instantly jumped on it due to my slight obsession with the 1992 film. I had absolutely no clue the effect, the lasting effect that the show would have on me. Being 12 and living in the Bible Belt, going to Christian school, going to church on the constant, and having religious parents, coming to realize that you were queer during that time was, like, a pretty troubling experience. The fear of being in that experience alone was exceptionally high. That's where Buffy came in. I fell in love with the show automatically. I saw a piece of myself in all of the characters, even Giles, because books and glasses. Specifically, the aspect of acceptance played a big part. I was frantically digging for acceptance of my sexuality during those years. Buffy helped me find that acceptance of myself and calm the fear that I would never be accepted. And there's so many moments that I could pinpoint where many different storylines or characters aided in that. Willow's journey of discovering her sexuality was so organic and so beautiful. Her relationship with Tara is one of the best representations of a queer relationship that I've seen. It is so awesome that for years to come, there will be people who will see them and be inspired and comforted by those characters. What is so great about the show even 25 years later is that the themes concerning the queer spectrum continue to be relevant. The aspect of acceptance that the characters have for people or beings that were not like them that they were open to understand a person or being's existence before any sort of slayage would be placed upon them, or that being queer wasn't something that was viewed askew. Buffy showed that it was okay to be who you are, and if you're not at that place yet, then there would be those who would be there for you. Recently, I wrote an article for GailyDreadful.com relating Angel's struggles with the first in the season three episode of Men's. I viewed the first as people of religion who use fear and empty promises to try to de-queer individuals who are struggling to find a place in this world and how Buffy ended up being in that light that person who was there for Angel willing to understand who he was and was willing to fight anything that got in the path of him understanding himself I ended that article with a mantra that I've used since Buffy's finale in 2003 find a Buffy find a Willow find a Giles the show helped me understand that there's a bigger world out there and that there are champions out there who will celebrate being queer. Buffy was, and is still, a huge part of my life and who I am. I mentioned that Buffy started when I was 12. The series finale aired a few days before I graduated high school. Buffy was there for me throughout some very formative years, and it pretty much helped form me into the queer individual that I am today. So what are your three favorite episodes of season four? So my three favorite episodes of season four are Fear Itself, because mm. um, I love the <laughs> Halloween episode. It's really adorable. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, Something Blue, mm-hmm. which I think oh is such God. a fun, which is such a fun episode. And of course, Hush. Mm, yes. Oh my God. All of those are super fun episodes. The they Hush are. is I'm, spooky as fuck. Yeah, right? 
It's very horror. It's like got that very horror element to it, and I just love the fact that mm-hmm. they had to film it with no one talking. So I love when I watch the scene of them, you know, walking through the city of uh, Sunnydale, and, and it's like it looks like the apocalypse is happening because no one can talk. And I'm just like, wow, I know. that was really that happens. What very would bring quick. society? <laughs> it like escalates so quickly. It's like within four hours, complete chaos, and the apocalypse yeah. has happened. <laughs> Yeah, oh right. man, the end is a, nigh. Like, we need a military presence. People are fighting each other in the streets because they can't talk to one another. Um, oh boy, it's not like they communicate well beforehand. Yeah. Oh boy. What about you? Definitely Hush. That is a beautiful, wonderful episode. That's like an Emmy winning episode. That's definitely a fan favorite overall. Um, For yeah. me, I really love the character arc episode. So I love Wild at Heart so much. And then the the duo, This Year's Girl and Who Am I? So in This Year's Girl, we have Adam's loose on the city. It hints at Dawn's appearance and Faith wakes up. Okay, in the end, because of everything that's happened and all my research and rewatching, Faith is now my absolute favorite character of the series. So now whenever I see Faith, I'm in love with it. Yeah. And then, so Who Am I is the body switch episode. So that's probably one of my, that's like Hush and that one's my two, really my two favorites. So bo- the, the body switch and Who Am I is amazing for multiple reasons. Um, Tara sensed and knew right away that Buffy wasn't who she was. So I think that really kind of, so one of the moments where it solidified her importance to the Scoobies because yeah. she's a very strong character. She's very intuitive and she's on top of it. She's like, oh no, that's not Buffy. Nope. She just yeah. knew it right away. Um, and also watching Sarah Michelle Gellar and Eliza Dushku play their opposites. That was just incredible acting. I loved that so much because they have very specific mannerisms, right? Yeah. And how they speak and move their body and then like having them switched. Mm, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> So much. And then like watching Buffy act like Faith and her little speech to Spike like blew his mind. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. And it literally anytime Sarah Michelle Gellar wears leather pants, I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to move on to Joss Whedon. So when we're talking about Buffy, it's been a celebration of the show. But I thought it would be kind of a little bit of being a disservice to our project. This is, you know, which is female focused, female based. If we didn't talk about the controversy that surrounds Joss Whedon. Yeah. There's multiple aspects of things that people are unhappy about. A lot of gripes, a lot of negativity. I think he's lost a lot of fans in the last like five to six years. Um, So I thought that we should talk about this. So what the first thing we're going to talk about is a main thing is the Kai Cole allegations. So Kai Cole was was his wife for many, many years. So she came out in, I believe, 2016, 2017 with allegations that cheating on him for for many years, while at the same time preaching that he was such a feminist. We can leak in the show notes of the exact blog post that that she wrote. And when I read that for the first time, I wasn't in like huge shock and dismay, but I'm also not one of those people. And there are maybe, I'm sure they still exist, but there are some super Whedon fans that have him on this really high pedestal. Like he could do no wrong. And he's like this God type figure. Yeah. I can't relate to those types of fans. And those types of fans, I think give fans a bad name because Joss Whedon is a person. He's a human being. 
He's a complete human being. He is an inherently flawed yeah. human being. Yeah. So when I read this, I was like, oh yeah, so he's a human being. That sucks. That is a terrible thing to do to someone. I wasn't like up in arms about how terrible that was. So there were two quotes from that and we can talk about it a little bit more. So the first one was Joss Whedon to his ex-wife, Kai. He said to her, as per her, I've never loved anyone or wanted to be with anyone in any real or long way except for you ever. And I love our life. I love how you are, how we are, who you are, and what we've done separately and together and how much fun we have. And she said he wanted it all. He didn't want to choose. So he accepted the duality as part of his life. Well, that's really important because... Just because he had these had this infidelity and he cheated, which is terrible. He should have been more honest. Yeah. He loved his wife. And I will probably get into non-monogamy discussion again. But it's yeah. like if he if he couldn't have been honest about sexual attraction and stuck in this world of monogamy and heteronormativity, like this is just who it is. Because he loved his wife. I don't think he meant to necessarily harm her, but he had attraction to other people and he went about it all wrong. I realize that, but he still wanted to be with her. Maybe yeah. he didn't want to continue on with this, but again, relationships are nuanced. So or like it, maybe he wanted the relationship to change in another way, maybe mm-hmm. no longer as a marriage, but maybe as like a friendship. And do you know you like and I think this is yeah. coming from like our discussions before of like non-monogamy, like people change over time. Mm-hmm. People become different people and you're like you're, you're right in saying like yes, he went about it all wrong. Doing it behind someone someone's back, being secretive, not being open and communicating about your feelings, yeah, it can lead to a lot of hurt and it can really hurt another partner. Mm-hmm. But I in my mind, I don't think that that says you're not a feminist and because mm-hmm. like like you said we've read a, like that article but we also read other articles surrounding mm-hmm. that controversy both mm-hmm. you know articles that were saying like hey he's a bad person he cheated he's he should be a role model so you can't so which is interesting it was like i won this one article that says whether someone can or cannot call himself a feminist doesn't really matter but personal behavior does so if you're mm-hmm. an artist or a politician you can't you can't act in these be in these ways but then i'm like mm-hmm. then we're always setting these people up for failure that at some point mm-hmm. shape or, sometime they're gonna f- fuck up they're gonna do something and we're gonna turn on them and say well then you can't call yourself a, a liberal you can't call yourself a feminist you can't call yourself you know you're by your name because you did something yeah. wrong and that really really was interesting to me because his infidelity is not necessarily a, a failing of his feminist beliefs um it's just mm-hmm. the fact that he is part of a human culture and he also like he did blame culture and like you were saying earlier mm-hmm. you're right in the sense that we have created we created a culture that monogamy is the way of life is the it's supposed to be the normative and if you do anything outside of that or think anything outside of that then you are being bad and you are breaking a social uh contract and that's mm-hmm. not accurate and mm-hmm. so i don't think that him cheating on his wife is is not proof that he's not a feminist mm-hmm. i or that he's not he's being a hypocrite of not supporting women's rights and causes and denouncing mm-hmm. sexism and I like this one article um, that talked about uh, Joss Whedon's alleged adultery doesn't make him uh, not a feminist a fake feminist um, I think this came from the New York Times and they, she says um mm-hmm. But I don't think there's proof that his feminism is BS, nor that he is a hypocrite for supporting women's causes or publicly denouncing sexism. Unless, mm-hmm. of course, we have officially entered territory where fidelity is a prerequisite to being a feminist, in which that case, a lot of feminists, men, and women <laughs> both are screwed. And I will say this, 
and I will admit to this, I've cheated, I've been cheated on, and I've been the other woman. So, but I still call myself a feminist. Yes, I participated in behaviors that were not fair and not mm-hmm. appropriate and hurt people. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and, I, and being someone who's been cheated on, it hurts and it sucks a lot. But I don't think that makes me a bad feminist. It makes me a human being. It doesn't make you a bad person either. Yeah, it makes me understand that that behavior is not correct. And it makes me also realize that I need to be honest with myself. And if mm-hmm. I'm not happy in my relationship or things aren't going well, I need to talk to my partner about it and not be not lie and be deceptive. And I think, we're, yeah, that same article, they said that, um, but it's also ludicrous to treat adultery, even committed by a powerful man, is as a sin up there with abuse or harassment. So yes. essentially yes. equating infidelity, which is betrayal and a lie, and it's not great, but with abuse use in actual terrible treatment of human beings. And I don't think we could put those on the same level. I really don't. I don't think you can either. And like, and they also at the same time too said that this also robs the women that he slept with of their own agency by saying that they did not have a choice in it and that he forced themselves on these women. And I just, to me, I'm like, it just implies that you can't call yourself a feminist if you've never cheated. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to bring it down to that, I'm like, okay, well, that brings it down to a point of purity, which as a vegan, I I definitely have encountered folks that don't think I'm a vegan or I'm a fake vegan. I'm not vegan enough because let's say my cats eat cat food that have animals in it. So it's like, where are you going to draw this line? Of I would still consider myself a vegan, but when it comes down to a complete belief system like that, is it about purity? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm still human and there's still going to be things that that happens. And maybe sometimes I buy a vegan margarine that comes from a parent company that tests on animals. But, you know, everybody is going to have their, I guess, the lines where they're going to draw on the sand and that's fine. And I think those are the people that are just going to hate Joss Sweden forever. And you know what? Fine. You know what I mean? It's but I don't think that he can't be called a feminist and anything that he has done is completely discredited because he cheated on his wife. I don't think so. Exactly, right? And when we think about that too, we think, yeah, okay, so yes, cheating hurts and it it is part of this emotionally manipulation that is really bad and it's hard on everyone. But then you also make some wonder too, like we heard her coming out in her blog post. We heard her side of the story. We never really heard his side of the story. We don't know Mm -hmm. what it was like for Mm -hmm. him in their marriage. Totally. We don't know what the marriage was all about or what it was like. And so we're just hearing one person's story and then we're into we're immediately be going, oh, because he's famous and because he claims himself to be a feminist, he's now a bad man. Yep. We don't want to hear his story. Yep. We don't he's yep. guilty before presumed innocent. When really should we you're innocent before proven guilty. I would say, uh, I would say Joss in response to her allegations in the post, so it said that uh, a spokesperson for Joss provided the following response. While this account includes inaccuracies and misrepresentations, which can be hurtful for their family, Joss is not commenting out of concern for his children and out of respect for his ex-wife. So, yeah. So we don't, we will never hear, I don't think, not that I've read anyways, he's never come out publicly, but he's always been a very private person with regards to his personal life. So yeah, well, it's very nuanced. Relationships are nuanced. This is not an assault case. This is a nuanced relationship case. So us, when we're talking about Buffy, we're celebrating the show. We're not celebrating the man, just so everybody knows overall. That was, that's a big thing that in the last five years that people have had a really hard time. But there are other little things throughout his career that has pointed to maybe him not being as feminist as he claims to be. And a couple of two big ones. One is with regards to Cordelia, the character and Charisma Carpenter. 
So, yes. In season, I believe, four of Angel, Charisma Carter became pregnant, as a lot of women do. Yeah. Um, and at the time, it was rumored that Joss Whedon actually had to rewrite the entire storyline to factor in the fact that she was pregnant. So she had he had to change, like, her whole arc, which potentially didn't end well. It ended the kind of their relationship. Joss Whedon hasn't really wanted to talk about it publicly, nor producers of the show. So some folks were wondering, like, are they, was he punishing her for her pregnancy? Was he upset because it didn't fall in line with his whole idea and plan of the show? Because if you know anything about Joss Whedon, he, he plans years in advance of what his character is going to do and where his show is going to go. Yeah. So that is kind of a big thing that, that happened. Like, yep, women are allowed to procreate. Women often procreate. So in in the workplace, that shouldn't be any issue. There shouldn't be any issues that should be communicated again. Who knows really what happened in the moment? There should be a communication. Like if you want to have a family and like eventually that's going to happen, then you would have that conversation. Was Joss Whedon really surprised that a woman that he's working with got pregnant on the show? I know that for women in workplaces, there is for whatever reason, prejudices and stigma attached to that. I know in my industry, I personally find it very annoying, but it's because of the industry that I work in. I work with radiation and anesthetic waste gases and stuff like that. So those, and then like lifting animals. So I I end up finding it annoying because they, eventually those women, if when they're still working, become quite annoying to work with because I can't help. Yeah. I have to pick up the slack for so much and it's, I would never get upset by a staff member being pregnant, you know? And so in this, in this scenario, there was some controversy on that. I do have a quote by Charisma Carpenter, but Jess, you're welcome to to chime in on that. Well, I was just uh, saying it's elements like, like I never even knew about this story. And I think this is like interesting thing that when we talk about Joss Whedon and his feminism and his form of feminism and people get mad and say, he's not a feminist because he cheated on his wife. But then there was like, you're saying like we're saying here too there's yeah we can question his feminism on other things i'm not going to question on his infidelity but i will question it on what happened with charisma carpenter i didn't know about this and when i learned about this i'm like yeah this makes more sense to me this would i would want to question his uh his kind of ideas around women and pregnancy in the workplace and his form of feminism yeah. supporting feminism and we also know like other items that came up too another um thing that came back to biology was um the controversy around black widow in the avenger series Mm kind of still along that lines where like her backstory she has like a forced sterilization when she was young to be trained as an assassin so she sees herself as a monster and so people came out from that and understanding that dialogue as Whedon was saying that women who could not have children or were childless by choice were monsters and Mm -hmm. people were also annoyed by the fact that her backstory was driven by biology so we're like okay so she's been sterilized so she can't have children so that and uh, that's annoying Uh, a lot of scripts are are driven around women's um, biology well, they, they often are. His is not. Yeah. But unfortunately, when it comes to that season of Angel, it, it's not strong. It's not great. It's, 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 uh, it was really, it's unfortunate. But I mean, you, you can't be surprised that a woman's going to get pregnant that you're working with. Yeah. In regards to the Black Widow issues, I think that got blown out of proportion and taken so out of context that, uh, so Jocelyn in response after that, that so Black Widow, she said she was a monster because she was an assassin. Being rendered yeah. infertile made her feel unnatural, made her feel cut off from the natural world. But it was her actions that defined her, her murdery actions. That's what monster meant. So give a guy a little bit of credit mm-hmm. here. And also the important thing to remember as a feminist, as a woman, it's all about choice. 
for Black Widow, that choice of child rearing and procreating was taken away from her. That is inappropriate. Yeah. The important thing as a human being, as a woman with agency, is the choice. I choose to live a child-free life. Other people choose to live a bountiful, child-full life, right? But if you take that away, of course, that's going to make somebody feel uh, unnatural is his terms for it. That was it. (laughs) So I think that just got really blown out of proportion in a very inappropriate, silly way. Yeah. And some people still can't get beyond just that one thing. Talking, I recorded the Nevers podcast earlier. We talked about this because we had a, a question come in about feminism and Joss Whedon. So we talked already about this today, but, uh, well, I did. And people are still mad, still mad about that one little thing. It was like, how about you just listen to what he actually has to say? What about the, the lack of diversity in female characters and body image? The use of small, they're always using small white women and powerful roles, but like we have a lack of uh, female body types and ethnicity. So women were typically in minor roles. So Kendra in season one, you know, she's in a very minor role. She was killed off prematurely. He has publicly discussed that he talked about lack of diversity is a problem. And I'm hoping that after years of being like not creating things, uh, I don't know when Avengers 2 Age of Ultron came out. But uh, he hasn't done anything TV show or movie wise since. I'm hoping he's grown as a person. That's kind of just my hope on that. And I think everyone will, like over time, they're going to make mm-hmm. mistakes. They're going to do the best they can to create strong, empower, em- empowering characters. And when I think too, I'm like, okay, yeah, so maybe Buffy lacked the diversity that it had. But we watched Firefly and um, pardon me, I can't remember her name. Like I know Inara is a, is a great character, but... Um, Zoe, Gian Torres, like she's mm-hmm. an amazing, uh, powerful role yeah. model, and she is a woman of uh, mm-hmm. of color and ethnicity. So, I think you know, like you said, with the Nevers coming out, Joss Whedon may have over time kind of learned a little bit more and maybe expanded upon what he, where he wants to go. But I don't think at the end of the day, he created a series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that is still quite empowering for a lot of women. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of body mm-hmm. type, ethnicity, mm-hmm. you know, sexuality, mm-hmm. gender, like yeah. she's just an empowering figure altogether yes there are some problematic elements we understand that we get that now yes there are some problematic elements about Joss Whedon and his feminism but at the end of the day everyone else is everyone's got a bit of a problematic Mm -hmm. thing because we all we're all people we're all individuals we're all gonna have different ideas and mindsets and honestly it changes Mm -hmm. all the time what's right and what's mm-hmm. wrong right you, you know yet yesterday you could say something about you could have like opinion about one thing and everyone's going to be on board with that and all of a sudden that p- opinion will change and be like nope that's mm-hmm. problematic now you can't think that way the way i look at it is that we all have space to grow and being yeah. nitpicky on joss whedon without looking at literally every other tv show whether at the time or now they all could do a lot better so how about we don't pinpoint yeah. joss whedon and tell everyone to increase your, you know, diversity in your show and different body types and all of that. Like we all, he's, I'm, yes, he's guilty of that for sure. Again, does it make him a bad yeah. person, non-feminist? I don't think so. Can't even shout, can't even cry. The gentleman on me Looking in windows, knocking on doors. They need to take seven and they might take yours. Can't call to mom, can't say a word. You're gonna die screaming, but you won't be heard. So, what are your top favorite episodes of season five? They are Fool for Love, Checkpoint, 
and the body. Oh, okay. Mm. So we, we, we share one. Right. <laughs> for sure. So Fool for Love, I've always loved, 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 loved that episode. So multiple reasons. We learn more about Spike as a character, even though I mm. think Spike is a huge creep. He's not a creep at this point in time, per se. Uh, so we learn more about Spike. I also love when we do flashbacks to times when, like, <laughs> Angel was Angelus. And just, like, in the... <laughs> because they're kind of terrible. But yeah. I love them. <laughs> but what I love about season five is that Buffy wants to find out her origin. So since her in Restless in season four, season finale, her exposure to the very first Slayer, she's like, where do I come from? Giles, I want you to be my watcher again. Yeah. I want to learn more about the Slayer and my origins what this is all about, which I love. I love that so much because I love the Slayer as a figure. Yeah. I love Irish Angel. So again, going back to those (laughs) terrible Irish accent, (laughs) the Spike's origins of you're beneath me. He's a very emotional character, very complex emotions. And like I said, by now he's, he's not a creep yet. Yeah. And he cries at the end when when, uh, Buffy's like, no, I would never. I would never be with you. I would never want you. You are beneath me. And we find that reasons why he's yeah. so upset. Um, also, I realized, I love doing this because I realized saying I've seen this show so many times and I now notice something for the first time. So in that flashback, when Spike has killed during the, the Boxer Rebellion, that one first Slayer, and they tell Angel, that is actually at the same, he has already had his curse done to him at that time. Because we see that at a different flashback at a different time. I couldn't tell you the episode on that one. But at first, for a long time, I thought it was jealousy, that Angel was jealous that Spike had killed a Slayer. But it wasn't because at that moment in time, he has been cursed with his soul. So he is actually upset that he has killed a Slayer who is a human being. Oh, okay. Would be very upsetting to Angel, yeah. the now cursed vampire, because it's the same scene. Because they had given him this like woman and child crying in the in the alleyway, but he doesn't kill them because he doesn't want to kill people anymore. But he can't tell his comrades yet. They don't know yet, yeah. They don't know yet. So I thought that was a wonderful (laughs) realization for me. And then Giles stating that the death of a Slayer would be super painful. It just shows the connection between Buffy and everything. Just, it's a very, just a very moving uh, episode. Checkpoint, fuck the council. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the body, the body is Uh, another, it's like, hush that. Yeah. Incredible, like Emmy winning, beautifully done episode. There's no music. There's like that one track shot of her going from like the kitchen to on the phone on the with the paramedics into the other room. They don't do that a lot. They don't do a lot of like tracking shots or at least, sorry, the, those long takes, the yeah. one shot takes. And it's just so moving. There's a lot of, um, the cinematography is very different in that, in that episode, which I really, really love. I feel like so many images are just like these moments in time for all the characters. It shows all of the different, uh, aspects of grief and the different, uh, how everybody's dealing with it. Anya. Oh, oh that episode. Yeah. Oh. That, her, her speech is really moving. It's just really incredible. And it's, there's so much to that, that episode, you know, Buffy and every, like her dealing with non-supernatural related deaths, death of somebody that's not Angel close to her, but that was a supernatural death. This is all just like, just so clinical. And you're like, yep, this is actual human death. This is like what it's like. Now she's just this body and they made her look so much like a corpse. It was just, it's incredible. Yeah. How about you? <laughs> 
So my top three, five episodes are, it was hard to narrow down because I really like season five and there's a lot of really great episodes and like the body mm-hmm. would have been on this list, but I went with ones that I really felt uh, big to me, which was so family because mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. that A, you say like, this is where we are establishing the Scooby gang is not just a bunch of friends. They are all actually family and they've they've accepted Tara and our own. But I also think mm. finding out uh, Tara's relationship with her family and just how heartbreaking it is and how, you know, that especially when Spike comes out and says like, oh, you're one of those families that likes to make their women believe that they can turn into demons as a form of, <laughs> of controlling that. I'm like, yes, yes. Yep. This is still happening to us. We're, women are demonized all the time and we're, you yeah. know, made to believe that if we've reached a certain age that we're going to cause havoc. And so you, you really feel for Tara mm-hmm. um, in that episode. Um, I really like... a great tri- one. Yeah, I really like Triangle because... I just, I like I said, I'm discovering I'm really liking Anya as a character, and she goes through, you know, you know, she was always like put on the outside by Willow mm-hmm. and Buffy, mm-hmm. not really truly accepted as like Xander's girlfriend because she used mm-hmm. to be a demon. So it was like that, you know, how you talk about in your articles about how Faith and Veruca, like because they're the odd women and stuff like that, they're never mm-hmm. fully accepted. And I feel like that's Anya too. Because Completely. she was an ex-demon, she was never fully accepted into the Scooby gang, even as Xander's uh, girlfriend and future fiancé, but mm-hmm. she sticks it through. Like, she's like, I want to be part yep. of this group. I have value. I can bring value. Mm-hmm. Just because I had this past, I can bring something to this. And I think mm-hmm. it's really um, a really great episode because, you know, her and Willow finally come head to head. And it's like, it's funny, but at the same time, too, though, <laughs> it's like, you know, if she can finally get Willow to accept her, then maybe they'll start accepting her more as part of the, the gang. And yeah. then, like you said, checkpoint because yeah mm. i love buffy's quote uh, her her speech where she says like <sighs> i have power and you don't and you know it, and that's why you're trying to control me and i'm like yes yes that is exactly it right <laughs> and it's once again is that you know we learn more about giles in terms of being a watcher and that it's you know his job as a watcher is not just and he like and him trying to explain to the council being like it's not just about putting her in training uniforms and getting her to know like the proper forms of jiu-jitsu and knowing all the history of these certain things is it's teaching her how she needs to survive in this world it's teaching mm-hmm. her to fight to win and we were and our, our means are different and this is why this is why she is so powerful as a slayer is because she doesn't follow the rules exactly she knows what she mm-hmm. needs to do to survive mm-hmm. and protect this world so good all very good Good. All right. We're ra- rounding out this episode. Everyone try not to cry. Mainly yeah. me. Okay. So the gift, the episode, the end of season five season finale was a series finale. Yeah. At that point in time, they didn't know the show was going to be picked up from any other network. But at the time, they even had a rap party. They're like, this is it. This is the end of the show. So how would you have felt if that would have been the end of Buffy? So I, when we first discussed talking about this in the podcast, I remember first thinking being like, I would have been disappointed if I realized that this was the end of Buffy. And, you know, it's really disappointing because I do really like the end of season seven. Mm-hmm. I love Buffy's Everyone is a Slayer speech. It's something that I have like printed out. I used to have it in my locker at Home Depot that like that speech <laughs> about, you know, everyone's a Slayer, rise up, yeah. we'll stand up. And I'm like, yes, yeah. thank you. I love mm-hmm. that speech. But then, of course, like her speech at the end of the gift is so powerful as well. And 
as I, you know, started thinking about it more in terms of doing the research and then watching the episode and sobbing again at the end, <laughs> I realized that I do like this ending. And I think that if the show would have ended on this note, I think it would have been good. I think it would have done the show justice. Because it, it also reminds me of how Xena Warrior Princess ended. Because it oh. ended the very same way. The very last episode of Xena is Xena dies. And when oh. she's given the ability to come back to life, she chooses not to come back. She chose, And she chooses to go to Gabrielle and say, don't bring me back because my death is what's going to set these people is give these people peace because of all the evil things I do. If you bring me back to life, then all the mm. horrible things that are happening are going to continue to happen. So my death mm. has to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And then she asks Gabrielle to pass on her legacy. And I remember being like, wow. oh, why, why would you kill Xena? But then I'm like, no, this is a fitting end for Xena. She's done so much. And in, in mm-hmm. a way, it's just the same for Buffy. It's like, mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a fitting end for Buffy. She, you know this is her gift this is what she can give to the world at the end she's saved the world six times already (laughs) seventh time's a charm pass this legacy on to someone else let them carry the torch so yeah yeah so i would have been a hundred percent 666 percent okay with the show ending right at that moment in time yeah i also love the ending of season seven it carrying on with the show it's a whole different feeling we'll definitely talk about that in six months yeah but if it ended now i would be fine i've definitely written about this in my warrior women post on the website folks read it but so up until then i kind of touched on this earlier but up until this point buffy couldn't accept the fact that she has to sometimes kill human beings. Sometimes humans have to die for the greater good. Mm. She could not do that. And she even said, you know, if she has to make these choices in the world, they're hard, terrible choices to make. She doesn't want to be in it anymore. She's already had to make heartbreaking decisions. She had to kill Angel, and now she has to kill her sister to save the world? Are you kidding me? She has suffered. Oh my god, that whole the whole season. She's lost her mother. She has to now kill her sister. It's like this whole thing. She lost Riley, but nobody, she doesn't, I don't think she's that brokenhearted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> None of us are that brokenhearted. But she has struggled and suffered and fought death daily for five plus years now. So she was ready for it. Yeah. She welcomed death. She dove head first into that portal and she was ready to go. And whoo, I always get so emotional about this. I'm so connected to Buffy. So what was amazing about this is that Buffy died on her own terms. Instead of being killed like every other slayer, she was taking her life into her own hands, which has been in the hands of the Watcher's Council for an extended period of time, to say, nope, this is when I die. I am choosing to die now to save the world. Death is my gift. She finally realizes this prophecy. It's not a negative thing. She's not a murderer or a killer, how she negatively always put it. She now understands. That's even in that speech to Dog. She's like, tell Giles I figured it out. That means she knows this is what she has to do. At this point in time, she has taken full and absolute agency of herself. And she dies. It's so perfect. Don, listen to me. Listen. I love you. I will always love you. This is the work that I have to do. Tell Giles it. Tell Giles I figured it out. And I'm okay.
Give my love to my friends. You have to take care of them now. You have to take care of each other. You have to be strong. Don, the hardest thing in this world is to live in it. Be brave. Live. All right. All right. Well, we're going to gonna go into Spencer's final thoughts. I never have final thoughts about Buffy. <laughs> I'm always thinking about it and always it's just going to always be a part of my life. And I actually revisited the Faculty of Horror episode on Buffy. They did a two hour episode on the entire series. And Andrea Subasati is so defensive of <laughs> anyone who doesn't like this show. And I loved it. I'm here for it. And it's like, she revisits it. And it's like, she said, it's like visiting old friends. And that's exactly how I feel because the show has been in my life for 20, over 20 years. Anytime I watch it, anybody I think of it, it is like seeing old friends. I knew who, I know who these characters are, like who they are from beginning to end, what they're all about, who they are. And it's just so incredible. I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We know this. <laughs> I love the premise of the Slayer. What an incredible icon for women. I will write about this at some point. I'm feeling inspired. But Buffy's journey in season five, watching like her desire to know where she comes from, it's so transformative and empowering and beautiful to watch. So I feel like the ending of the show is just so magical. I think the show is magical, but the end of it is so magical. I love how even now in 2020, 2019, that we're reading more into the show and finding more and more layers to discuss because there's so much to this show to talk about. And it just carries on. I'm sure in five to 10, 20 years, we'll find even more to talk about of the show. Though it seems after doing the research or reading about it and looking at this show in a more critical lens as the age and experience that I have now, even though it's incredibly empowering, it's a very subversive show, it's hugely conservative. And that was a bit of a sobering uh, realization that I've had in the last couple of months after looking into the show a little bit further. There's a lot of wonderful elements, but it's hugely conservative, mainly when it comes to female sexuality. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but I just thought it was much more progressive than it is. And I think it's progressive in a lot of ways. It's just been a little bit eye-opening. Still love the show. Still love things that have bad elements to it. It's fine. I'm happy, so happy that queer folks find strength in Buffy and everything. It's like I said, it's not my personal experience, but I'm so glad that different people have different readings into the show and they take different things out of it. I love that different people can take different aspects of the show and take it into their own personal lives and they just get different things out of it. What I get out of it, what you get out of it, Jazz, Joshua and Trace, they all take different things out of the show and they find strength and they can relate to it and they love it. And I love that. It empowers everyone in so many different ways. I really enjoyed the themes that we talked about tonight. I think it's really important to the continued discussion about the show and about queer horror overall. And this was kind of our real first look at queerness and horror. So we're looking forward to doing more and more of this in the future. Joss Whedon has a new show coming out on HBO in 2021. It's called The Nevers. I have a lot of high hopes and expectations that he has learned and grown as a man, as a creator, to have a really diverse, wonderful show. The writer's room right now is very diverse with a variety of different types of women in it. So I'm really, really excited to see what happens. 
I am excited to have more content from Joss Whedon and have him back on TV because since Dollhouse, it's been about 10 years since Joss Whedon has had a TV show and him being on a network like HBO where he really can spread his creativity in a more adult way. I'm so excited to see what he has in store for us. I haven't loved anything TV show wise as much as I have loved anything Joss Whedon. So I'm really, really excited. I do really love Penny Dreadful. And that's really as close to a Joss Whedon show that I have found that spoke to me and I loved so much. A little plug to my other podcast, which is the Nevers podcast. It's on all podcasting apps. Uh, Once the Nevers actually is released next year, we'll be doing, you know, episode by episode reviews and discussions. I write for it. I'm on the podcast now talking about a variety of different Joss Whedon projects and different things. So please check out all of that. Yeah. So my final thoughts on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, especially seasons four and five, is that I, I didn't grow up with Buffy like everyone else did. It came to me much later in my life. For me, my the inspiration and empowerment I got was from Xena Warrior Princess, but I love that how I can get that also later in life through Buffy and watching the show with now for these for these podcast episodes and to look at themes and to talk about these ideas and like you're saying how so, they're so eye opening and how the show still like 20 years later is still addressing things that are still very prevalent in society now and how we can look back at it so like you said I completely missed Willow's sexuality because when I the first couple watches around I was like yeah she's a lesbian that's great that's awesome like this is a perfect opportunity to uh, openly show a gay character and have a consistent relationship on a show this is amazing but then when I started realizing, like, oh, Willow's actually could be actually bisexual. We could actually read her sexuality in that way. And I was like, this is so interesting. And this is like, I can relate to this and this idea, this and how she's representative of this idea of bisexual erasure and something that I've experienced um, in being a bisexual woman in society this day and age. And it's just so important. Like, I do have to remember that at the time the show was doing something was really important. And that while they had... Well, I can say like, oh, well, back then an opportunity was missed. I don't think it was completely lost because we can go back and we can watch these shows and we can talk about these ideas and they're still coming forward. And I know people are still uh, doing research and reading and writing about Buffy and characters in this uh, as related to the Slayer and that relationship. I know for me, watching this again around, I like I said earlier, I'm I'm in love with the character of Anya and I want to talk more about her and and her uh, her role in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and what she represents for uh, for women and the controversy around Whedon is tragic. And in a way, it's because it highlight it really highlights this nobody's perfect and that problematic thing that we do that Kelly's already brought up is that when we put people so high on a pedestal and when they make a mistake, we are so quick to tear them down and we have to see like, no, you need to be perfect. You need to fit in a standard that we have placed upon you. And if you deviate from this in any way, shape or form, then you are no longer this person. You're no longer that person. You're no longer perfect to us and we don't support you in any way, shape or form yeah there are shitty people out there 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 are men who are 100% misogynistic there are people out there who are supporters of, of Jordan Peterson but at the same time too though like there are people out there who are you know men and women out there who are feminists who make mistakes and the most important thing you can do as a human being is learn from them grow from them and continue to do the best you can to be supportive of women's rights and women's causes and I think that you know while Joss Whedon has run into some problematic things in the past I don't think I don't want to count him out as being a supporter of women's causes and 
and, and, and being someone to try and keep bringing us empowering women. So I am curious as well for the Nevers when it does come out to see what he what characters he brings towards and what new pantheon of strong female mm-hmm. women we're going to have to see on TV again. Amen. So that ends our second trip to Sunnydale. We want to thank Dance with the Dead for our intro and outro music, Robies, and Brandon for his work on our promotional materials. And also to all you listeners, and we want to remind you to follow us on our website at spinstersofhorror.com and Facebook, Spinsters of Horror. We're also on Twitter at Horror Spinsters, also Instagram at Spinsters of Horror. As well, please rate and review us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and literally any podcasting app you listen to us on, and you can review us. Please do rate, review us. <laughs> Reminder, we now have merch. Please visit TeePublic to purchase our t-shirts and buy stickers from our shop. We also have a donation button on the main page if you'd like to contribute to our spinsters cause. Next month is Women in Horror Month. What? Yes. I can't believe it's already February. It's (laughs) It's already been a year since we celebrated Women in Horror. We're celebrating it again. This is awesome. And we're going to celebrate by exploring coming-of-age horror. The theme we'll be looking at is monstrous power formed during the formation of womanhood. And the film up for discussion will be this severely underrated teeth. Until then, remember, the future of fear is female. <laughs>